Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. as <laughs> Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives about craft and career. Many of us have no doubt seen and cherished the 1951 MGM musical An American in Paris. Jean Kelly and Leslie Caron dancing through the streets of Paris in a film directed by Vincent Manelli and a luscious score by the Gershwins. The film has now inspired a stage musical of the same name, and it's headed our way. This glorious stage adaptation from world-renowned choreographer Christopher Wielden premiered at the Théâtre de Châtelet in 2014 in Paris, followed by a triumphant arrival on Broadway in 2015, where the musical was awarded four Tony Awards. This production celebrates a groundbreaking collaboration between the Australian Ballet and GWB Entertainment. Hailed as a tour de force for its stunning choreography, the musical tells the entrancing story of a young American soldier and a beautiful French girl set against the iconic backdrop of the world's most romantic city, Paris. Broadway and West End leads Robbie Fairchild and Leanne Cope will reprise their show-stopping turns as the American G.I. Jerry Mulligan and the young Parisian dancer Lisa Desson in Australia, with two of the country's leading lights, Cameron Holmes and Dimity Azuri, from the Australian Ballet to alternate in the lead roles. Robbie Fairchild recently arrived down under and he spoke to stages from his hotel room, where he was enduring the obligatory quarantine stay. We discuss his 12 years at New York City Ballet and the anticipation he has in being an American in Paris in Australia. Robbie Fairchild, welcome to Australia. Thank you very much. You're in, in your third day of, uh, I think it's your third day of quarantine. Third day of quarantine. I'm lucky that I'm not doing 14 days. You know, I feel very lucky. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, it could be worse. It could be worse. Uh, could be worse. Do you have fidgety feet? I do. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> it's like the only exercise and, and moving that happens is, you know, little at-home workouts and, and a ballet bar here and there. But, yeah, I'm getting yeah. antsy. Of course, fidgety feet is part of the great Gershwin score, which uh, is the background to an American in Paris, which is why you're here down under. Yes, Yes, wonderful Gershwin. I always, I always say, you know, the testament to really good music is how many times you can hear it over and over again and still enjoy it. And uh, I've performed this like over 400 times and there's not a moment where I don't feel elated from the, from the music. It's really remarkable. How's, how's your jet lag going? Because it's a long flight, isn't it? I've been waiting, 
It is a long flight. I um, I'm doing all right. I I'm waking up at five thirty in the morning, which needs to change, but I'm falling asleep at nine. So you know, I'm still getting my eight hours. Uh, you had to depart New York City about a week and a half earlier than anticipated. I, I guess that was to do with uh, the arrival of. Uh, um, I'm still learning how to pronounce it. Omicron. <laughs> Omicron, something like that. Yeah, it's um. You know, never ceases to each day provide different sorts of challenges. So, um, look, I'm just happy that I was able to get in before. And, you know, I'm I'm not hoping that, you know, borders shut. But um, I was really lucky to, crossing my fingers, every, every morning I woke up leading up to my flight that I would still be able to come here. And so I got here. I'm excited. We've been crossing our fingers for the last two years, I think. Uh, you've, of course, had first-hand experience of what it is to be a performer, prevented from from doing your work because of uh, all of the, the shutdown that occurred in the uh, in the entertainment industry. Um, how did you How did you cope? Oh, well, you know, I didn't I didn't want to leave New York City. I felt like it was my duty to like stay there and fight. I don't know what that meant, but. At seven o'clock every night, the um, everyone would start screaming and clapping outside of their their windows, and you know it was when the the healthcare workers would finish their shift. Uh, obviously, they're not hearing this because they're like <laughs> blocks and blocks further south. Um, but it was for each other, and it was to uh, uh, support one another. And you you forget that somebody's on the other side of that wall. Uh, and then you both stick your heads out and you just start screaming and people screaming, I love New York. And, you know, this is when refrigerated trucks were there and it was really, really scary. Um, I, for, for a good chunk of time, I um, went up to my roof with my roommate, Krista Rose, who's a commercial dancer in New York City. And uh, uh, we would make rooftop dances because we would just look at the, um, we would look at the news, we would just find it so depressing. And it was our only op option was to go up to the roof and express ourselves, try and find some levity and some joy. And so we put that up on Instagram and it was a fun way to feel like we were contributing to some sort of release of tension. And, um, it got us through a couple months and then the rooftop started to feel like a dance prison. I didn't have the same, kind of um, freeness that it had in the beginning and and uh, oddly enough I had done a f I had done a film and somebody saw it and said oh my god my my um, my daughter was so inspired by your dancing in the film that she uh, now wants to be a dancer and I've been dreaming of this for her I saw that you like to arrange flowers on your Instagram and uh, I work as a flower distributor out of Holland and I'd love to say, send you some peonies and roses to say thank you. And I was like, sure, that's so generous. Uh, so the flowers came and I was blown away at how gorgeous they were. And uh, I decided to make them for the healthcare workers at seven o'clock. What I didn't realize is how similar flower arranging is to performing. It's you go into a studio, you create something, and then you bring it to the recipient or the audience member. and I had been starved for that, starved for that communication, the giving and receiving. And, and so when I delivered it to the healthcare workers, I, um, it hit something. And I was like, oh, 
this is what I've been missing and this is how I'm going to get through this. Uh, um, put some food on the table, keep me sane, keep me creative. Uh, and once I started, you know, I kind of didn't really stop. I started a company of a bunch of Broadway performers who have an affinity for florals and our motto is just to keep it in for performers who are out of work, want to stay creative and, and make a paycheck. And it's uh, been going on a year and a half now. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It is um, uh, interesting that a lot of performers, because uh, there is a downtime, there are times when, when you don't work. Um, this was, oh. of course, enforced not work. But, but uh, I know a lot of performers who do have that other creative outlet, either painting or cooking. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just a way to to continue to, to make things and express yourself. Perform in your own in your own way and create your own stage. Mm. Those rooftop dance yeah. videos, I, I've caught a few of them. They are magnificent, especially juxtaposed with the skyline of New York City behind you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It was um it was really fun. It was a nice moment in time. You know, I don't live with my roommate anymore. I moved moved apartments to make room for flowers. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was such a treat. It was such a joy. It's actually the weather in Melbourne right now is it feels like the beginning of summer and it like smells like the beginning of summer. I can't describe it, but it takes me back to that exact time we were doing those dances up on the roof. And it just, I don't know, sense memories. It's kind of trippy. Melbourne's a glorious city, but you will experience four seasons in one day uh, down there. It's um... I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know what to pack for. I didn't know. It's, it's so true. It's so wild here. I'm excited to explore. Back to your florists uh, business. Bouquet. Where, where, it's a wonderful name. Where did, where did that end? B-O-O-K-A-Y. Where did that come B-O-O-K-A-Y. Uh, yeah. So... Um, a lot of people, at least in America, they'll say, um, oh, I, I want to buy a bouquet instead of a bouquet of flowers. Uh, and so I liked to do, I liked the idea of doing a kind of like little play on words uh, um, and have like the phonetic spelling. Um, but then it's also, you know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, you call your, you call your friends boo. Yep. Uh, I don't know. It's just a fun kind of lighthearted way to, to uh, um, for a business name. I don't know. We, we've kind of enjoyed it. That's great. It's great. Have you got a website? Can people um, find Bouquet online? Yeah. Yeah. Bouquetnyc.com. Uh, right now we're just in New York City, but that um, is uh, changing. I can't release where we're going to be, but um, we're, we're branching out. Well, it's been quite it's extraordinary next spring, so. the way that you've expanded because you started in what you was it a studio apartment with um, I and started I in a you, fourth floor two bedroom apartment and you know when I got the flowers and I got the peonies and roses from this woman um, I uh, I said how do I how do I store them she's like well a lot of people put them in a room with air conditioning so here I was in my bedroom with my flowers and. Uh, just like bundled up under the covers. It's like, this isn't sustainable. Um, <laughs> not at all. This is not sustainable. Uh, yeah, so that's where it started. And uh, it was just me. Uh, and then I got booked out to do uh, a dancing gig uh, where it would take me away. We did like bubble residencies. I don't know if they did that in Australia, but 
you go, you all quarantine together in this like kind of artist's retreat uh, where you're not exposed to anyone else. And uh, then you're able to make, make art, make work. Uh, so we went upstate New York, up in the Catskills, the mountains. And I thought, okay, so I'm going to have to figure out if I want to keep this going. I have, this has to exist without my presence. So I called up a buddy of mine who is a Broadway performer who's done like seven or eight Broadway shows. And he's an amazing floral designer. He's posted on his Instagram and then he'd been freelancing for a while in between jobs. And I said, hey, you want to come join Bouquet? And he's my co-creative director and we've been having a really good time. Now that Broadway's open, we've we've tried to market ourselves as the, the Broadway florists and we've done uh, opening nights for Hadestown, Book of Mormon, um, American Utopia, uh, we've done Moulin Rouge, we've done so many openings to shows. We're doing Company this week, we're doing Dear Evan Hansen this week. So it's like, it's not a small thing anymore and it's, um, when I come back from Australia, it has got to get out of my apartment. <laughs> and not live in a flower shop but it's really fun it's like how do you take your pandemic pivot and make it apply uh in the world that you know that you that you inhabit in a normal world what is normal anymore but uh so for us to do flowers for the theater community like to get to have our flowers at dressing room spots in theaters is is my dream for a bouquet and it's already happened so i'm i'm, I'm happy yeah the, the theater uh, has embraced flowers as part of their tradition for a long long time and i love yeah. that some of your the bouquets that you've created take inspiration from the theater you, you've got a bouquet called the showstopper the grand dame <laughs> broadway veteran and um even been inspired by by works of, of ballet like george balanchine's tchaikovsky's uh pas de deux um featuring blue yep. orchids um Midsummer Night's Dream, the, the set with magenta roses. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. It's like, you know, you go to the you go to the flower market in the morning and especially when you have a, a show in mind and you're and you're looking and you're shopping for that for that show and it's literally like a casting call. You see which flowers showed up to audition and you find your your star and then you start shaping it around and it's 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 very it's very similar to the performing world i never i never thought that, that would be so closely tied but do, do you have a star that you like to work with regularly oh well, a star um <laughs> a star flower I love, yeah yeah a star flower i love um they're so complicated and they're so tricky but dahlias i think are so beautiful yeah um, they come like as big as your face and, uh, they're just, they're just really temperamental. You know, when you order them from your, from the wholesaler, uh, literally on the website, it says at your own risk. <laughs> so you have to buy double in order to have, have the regular amount. So they're finicky, but that's kind of what's beautiful about them is their, uh, ephemeral quality. And it's like a show it's, it's on stage and then the curtain comes down and you'll never see that same show before again it's like here and gone sounds like the dahlia is a diva yeah full diva <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's so, a real diva so robbie born in salt lake city in, in utah yes 
Land of the Mormons. Land of the Mormons, um, the book of. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess it's a long way from New York, but I guess you had access to shows that toured through the city. Yeah, so my my mom uh, loves musical theater and uh, bought the a subscription to the touring companies that would come through uh, to our local theater, and it was uh, those moments in theater where I was hooked, and I knew that this is what I wanted to do, and uh, especially. It was Valentine's Day and Gene Kelly had just passed away and my mom said, I said, who's that? And she goes, oh, Rob, you don't know who Gene Kelly is. Um, so she bought me a Valentine's Day present and it was Singing in the Rain and I'd never seen it before. And I saw it and I was blown away. And I, I realized that's who I wanted to, uh, wanted to be. I wanted to, I wanted to be a song and dance fan. How many times do you think you've watched Singing in the Rain? Oh, God, I don't know. I've lost count. I think it's the perfect film. You can just watch it again and again. It's so wonderful. It's so charming. And the dancing is so brilliant. So good. So what about MGM musicals? Were you Did you start to sort of investigate those traditions, the Vincent Minnelli spectaculars and other Gene Kelly films? Yes, yes. And, you know, my, my favourite my favorite was that... Um, is it called That's Entertainment or That's Dancing? And it would have, like, I remember seeing Gene Kelly up on the screen, like, introducing one of the uh, one of the segments that they were going to show. And just so captivated by him and by all those performances, those, um, uh, that triplet, uh, they're yes. in some barn. I don't, I don't remember. The, do you know what I'm talking about? They're, like, kind of contortionists. I guess they're triplet sisters, aren't they? And they, they sort of... Yes, they contort themselves into the most amazing shapes. Yeah, they're talking about they're thinking about potato salad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can it's find it on, you can so find it on brilliant. YouTube. No one no Yeah, find look it up on YouTube. It is you won't believe your eyes. The stuff that they did back in the day is so mind blowing and seems physically impossible. Uh, I don't know how they did it and probably without great physical therapy the level of dance that was going on in the 40s and the 50s and and how we haven't s surpassed that in film and i don't know if we will however i will say have you seen the new um west side story film no but the reviews say it's spectacular so uh one of my good friends and actually my roommate at the school of american ballet is justin peck um and he did a phenomenal job I think that was the most excited I've ever been to see dance on film in a long, long time. It was, it was pretty, pretty epic. I forget the name of the film, but have you seen the Gene Kelly film where he dances in roller skates? Uh, uh, it's always fair weather. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That scene is so amazing, and I love that song he, he sings. It's beautiful. I like myself. Yeah. So but to have a positive self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, choreographers like Gene Kelly and Hermes Pan, Agnes DeMille, Bob Fosse, Michael Kidd, Jack Cole. Yeah, certainly a golden era. Golden era, for sure. Now, uh, you started uh, dancing at about age four, I believe. That's right. Age four, doing the hokey pokey. <laughs> I don't know if they have that in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you had the hokey pokey. 
great ways for kids to start dancing, especially boys, um, uh, tap dancing, put something on the end of their feet and let them just make noise. Uh, you learn rhythm, you learn musicality. Uh, and I think that's such a skill when you get, um, when your technique starts to grow, when you're taking ballet and doing jazz to have that rhythm, it's so important as a dancer. It's, it's, uh, crucial. So that ingrained young age is, is uh, it's awesome. And that's how I started and I, and I loved it. Is your story a bit like Mike in a chorus line? You know, I watched yeah. Francisco Pitter Patch because you had an older sister 100%. who was dancing. Yeah. 100%. I got into dancing because my sister danced uh, and I would be, my mom didn't want to pay for a babysitter. And so we would just go and sit and watch her rehearse. And I thought to myself, Hey, that looks like fun. I want to try. Also, I want to make use of my time. I'm just sitting here. And I fell in love with it. We have so many home videos of us dancing together um, in the living room. Um, me and her old costumes. <laughs> um, yeah, she's the one who got me into dancing. And then and then seeing shows that would tour and seeing Gene Kelly on film, the reasons why I wanted to be a dancer. Were your folks into dance at all? Or did, did they attend the ballet? Or No. No, my mom always wanted to, wanted to dance, but she, uh, for some reason, never did it. But also, she was incredibly uncoordinated. Like, she turns in a circle and she needs to sit down because she's, she's going to throw up. She can't, really, <laughs> she can't really snap to the music. It's always a little off. But her lines are great. She's got really long legs, really nice feet. Uh, and then my dad uh, played the flute and um was in uh college soccer so you get musicality and uh physical um, um coordination from my dad and then you get the aesthetic line from my mom and mash it up and i don't know I, how my sister and i both ended up as principal dancers in new york city ballet with parents like ours is pretty pretty wild it's like the right mix of this and that it's, uh, it's quite a, an achievement for two siblings, as you say, to be to be principals at New York City Ballet. Um, was there any sort of sibling rivalry at all? Was it was it good fun to work with your sister? Did you have moments? Uh, we we had a we had a blast working together. We never felt uh, competitive with one another because we each had something uh, that would kind of kind of set us apart. Not only just being different um, genders, but um, my sister is one of the most brilliant technicians, period. Uh, her, her technique is unbelievable. And then uh, I think my one up was my just showmanship, <laughs> my personality, my, um, uh, my freeness and on stage. And I think um, when we were in the company together, we saw the opposite in each other and it inspired us to work harder in those in those ways uh so it was look I, I i followed my sister everywhere you know she played violin when i we were younger i played the violin she did uh tap dancing i did, like i followed her she went to new york i went to new york i just looked up to her so much and um yeah to get to work together was pretty crazy we actually performed my first principal role with a company I was understudying uh, her partner. Her partner goes out two weeks before the show. It's really complicated choreography. 
And so they were like, Robbie, you're up. So I was like, okay. We were like, which one should we, which pot of dish should we start with? And, and uh, we chose the hardest one and said, well, if we're going to do this, we have to start working now. They started the music and then we finished the pot of dish. We looked at each other and it went so well. And it was like dancing with yourself. We had the same impetus for movement. Uh, so just the coordination was just on. It was really crazy. So then to get to do that for my first principal role, and then we performed it on Mother's Day, and my mom was in the audience, and pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Of course, we're speaking about Megan Fairchild. That's it. Is she, is she still with the company? She's still with the company. She's dancing better than ever. She uh, just had twins uh, six months ago, and I just saw her as the Sugar Plum Fairy, and she was remarkable. I don't know how she does it. She's got three kids, bounces back from twins in six months. I don't know who does that. You were with the company for about 12 years, I believe, before you decided to, to move on and venture into the field. 12 years, yes. Starting as a an wonderful, It was a wonderful time. Starting as an apprentice and then then working your way up to, to principal dancer. Yeah, interestingly enough, at New York City Ballet, when you're in the when you're an apprentice, you have um, if you dance nine ballets in one ballet season, you automatically get from um, accept. And so my ninth ballet was Christopher Wielden's. An American in Paris, which is pretty wild. He did a 20-minute version for New York City Ballet probably like 10 years before American in Paris uh, was an idea uh, for a musical. Uh, so it's pretty, it's pretty wild to, to ha have that ballet been my ninth ballet that got me into New York City Ballet. And I think about it a lot that you know, had I not gone to New York City Ballet, had I not been a ballet dancer, I wouldn't have been right for this show. And it's kind of my dream show, like to get to dance a role that up to that point, only Gene Kelly had performed. Crazy. And you wouldn't think you would need to be super ballet heavy for a, a for an American in Paris, but that's the direction that they went. And I had fit the bill and... Yeah, pretty cool. But, uh, but all all dance styles would have a, a foundation in ballet, wouldn't they? In a, in some sort of classical technique. Yeah, I I think that ballet is the basis of all technique, you know, for for dance. And if you have a strong uh, strong ballet uh, co uh, foundation, you're you set yourself up uh, so well for everything else. Um, choreographers like George Balanchine and Jerome Robbins, Christopher Wielden and, and Justin Peck, who you mentioned earlier, have all been ballet choreographers who have done the crossover to Broadway. And, of course, there's been a lot of yeah. ballet dancers who have moved to, to Broadway as well and, and excelled. Is that about finding a bigger canvas to, to express yourself? Because you're adding song as well. Yeah, and it's just so much more exposure. You, you, the amount of uh, people that I got to perform for when I was on Broadway, it was, you know, it was, it was shocking how many people um, would come and see, see these shows, and 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 not, and the variety of people, 
people who would never go see the ballet are coming here to an American in Paris and they're seeing ballet for the first time. My favorite thing someone ever said to me after a show was, uh, this is my eighth time seeing this show. I love it so much. I've just bought my first tickets to go see the New York City Ballet. I was that's like, right. that's why I do what I do. Because uh, I love ballet so much, but I understand it has a um, an acquired taste. Uh, you need an in. And um, some people need an in. Some people love it right off the bat. But there's there's it's such a magical world. And once you get a taste of it, the right kind of taste for you, um, it's it's a pretty magical place. So to get to share that with people is 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 amazing. And and to get to sing and act for the first time on stage, somebody put a mic on me. It was so thrilling. Going back to the ballet after that, I was like, I feel muted. Somebody give me a microphone. Had you been singing through your through your life? Yeah, well, so I wanted to be a song and dance man when I was younger. So I I um, would I would take singing lessons growing up, but I would never I was never I was in choir in high school, but I never uh, pursued it like my dancing. So when I got the um, offer to audition, I uh, started just kind of going in some boot camps singing boot camps and, and acting boot camps just to uh, pay tribute to the art form, you know, the people train just as much as I have in dancing, in voice and in, in their acting. So I, I, I wanted to be respectful of that and not say, oh, oh I can do it without any training. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I worked my butt off a lot, a lot of hours. The thing that's worth pointing out also is that, that Gene Kelly had the luxury of several months, I would imagine, to to film those sequences and to go back and correct things and, and, and get it right. You have to do it all in three hours straight. Yeah, isn't that wild? Yeah. That's crazy when you think about it. Yeah, the film world and the theatre world are, are so different. Uh, it there's there's something so wonderful about being in theater because you get to tell the whole story it's not it's not excerpts you're not okay on this day we're filming this uh the continuity purpose is you it's it's so much easier to feel um in it and really authentic because you know where your character has been literally a moment before and you experienced it a moment before <laughs> so it's it's a there's a nice flow. What's it like to dance at the White House? Oh man, that was crazy. That was so cool. Uh, we had to avoid this big chandelier. I lifted her over my head and I realized she was about to hit the chandelier in the White House. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I don't know, it's just these weird things you find yourself in. You're like, that is so crazy that that just happened. But I almost <laughs> threw a girl up in the air and in the White House and she would have hit the chandelier. Like, just kind of wild. And to get to perform for Michelle Obama and um, was a real treat. You know, that, that family is pretty amazing. You've uh, choreographed on yourself also uh, with the ensemble for the Romantic Century playing Frankenstein. How do you create? How do you create a dance vocabulary for the monster? Because we're so used to seeing the film renditions where it's quite a stilted gait but 
with dance, it would be something much, much different, I imagine. Yeah, well, uh, I think that for um, the way I was approaching the character was that um, uh, fractures, fractures in the in the makeup of our bodies, uh, uh, and that there's that monster in all of us, and it's it's not a monster because it's scary; it's a monster because it's. Um, it, it taps into that feeling in all of us that we feel um, unworthy, we feel shunned, uh, unaccepted. And growing up in Utah, being a dancer was like my own version of feeling like a monster, like just wanting to be included and um, torture myself too much in my body, but uh, created a vocabulary that, that uh, felt undeserving was was really fun and it, it's it's nice you know when you're you're acting and you're dancing at the same time to say okay well i want to experience this in the moment so i want to get from a to b on the stage but i'm just going to see what my body does that night and explore it so it feels really fresh and in the moment you know and it was that I think was the most fun part about that project was was getting to give myself that opportunity. You know, the choreographer wasn't going to be upset because it was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was a real treat to get to explore that and have that space to do so. Dance provides uh, wonderful opportunities to uh, present emotional states, which I imagine you did a lot of that with Frankenstein, but you think about dream ballets too. I love dream ballets in a musical. Are you fond of those? Yeah, I, I, of, of course I am. They're, they're magical. They're, uh, they're an elevated moment. It's when, um, you know, there are no words to speak. You sing where there's no song to sing, you dance. And, and that kind of elevated deep connection is, is often connected to your dreams and your your wishes and your hopes for what it could be and um i i tend to love like and what i experience in an american of paris is is that um for example we were putting together the sen scene which is where uh lise and jerry really connect for the first time uh along the sen and when we we're putting it together something wasn't working. And Craig Lucas, the book writer, was sitting on stage and he said to Christopher Wheeldon, it's not working because the scene is saying the same thing as the dance. And he's like, I love the dance. Keep the dance. I'm gonna change the beginning so that you're not, we're not playing the same beat. Uh, and it really kind of shifted my perspective into how, uh, um, how much you can uh, use storytelling through dance. Mm. And it's not just the five, six, seven, eight dance break. Everyone can smell that from miles away. And they sit back and they go, oh, isn't that pretty dance? Oh, that was fun. Bravo. Um, but to be engaged with the story and then for it to switch into dance and you still are leaning forward, like, that's cool. Mm. That's, I enjoy that. Well, an American in Paris has been showered in plaudits wherever it has gone. Um, if I can quote Variety, they said, 
ravishing. It's hard to breathe, not only because the love story is so romantic, but because we rarely see this kind of dancing on Broadway, an enchanting and deeply moving experience. And I, I was lucky enough to see it on Broadway, and it is all of that. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Audiences oh, are amazing. Australian audience is going to be in for a, a, a big thrill. It's, uh, of course, presented by GWB Entertainment. And also, most excitingly, you're, you're joining the Australian Ballet. Yes. Yeah. How cool is that? Love Very David cool. Hallberg. Did you yeah. work with David in the States? Uh, we did some um, gigs together where we were on, uh, on the same bill, but he was at American Ballet Theatre and I was at New York City Ballet. Um, oh, he's so wonderful. So I'm going to the gala tomorrow night. So I'm excited to Great. see them perform. Great, yeah. great. No, no, it's, it's an exciting new move for the company, I think, um, staging a musical like like this. So how do you um, okay. maintain your, your, your fitness and, and protect yourself from, from physical and vocal injury um, over a long run, a long season? I think on Broadway, I got physical therapy every day right. for the show. I would be in an ice bath up and in a big trash can up to my knees uh of ice water um and then i had an inversion table where i hung upside down because the stage wasn't uh, uh sprung and i thought i'm at the time i was 20 27 and i thought i'm, I'm still young for a dancer i don't want this to destroy my body and I noticed on days of the show where I didn't, um, where I didn't take my ice bath, my legs, my legs felt like sausage links. I just felt the the swelling. I felt the inflammation, and um, it was pretty wild. Um, yeah, you do. You really have to. Your your whole day turns into how, what do I need to do for the show in order to get myself there? Whether it's a massage, whether it's yoga, something to open you up because uh, even in the, even in the show itself, the, the pot at the very end of the, end of the show, um, it doesn't just end there. You then have to go up, come out on stage and, and sing pretty, pretty quickly after that. Uh, and um, what I would realize on Broadway is that uh, I would get so tight my body and my rib cage would get so tight from all the lifting that going to sing, it's like you have no room for the breath. And so the more I did it, the more I would realize I need to be stretching like all the time, opening things up to let the vibration happen, to let the air flow in. Uh, it's a, it was a huge learning curve and it was kind of scary going out there and, and singing after the potter we had just started and not knowing if it was going to sound good and how terrifying to do that on Broadway in front of a bunch of people. And it took me a while to figure out what I needed to do in such a demanding uh, role. And, you know, I was doing eight shows a week at the beginning and I, uh, I felt like a shell of a human. It was, it was so hard. Um, and so we finally were able to go down to six shows a week. And as soon as that happened, it was manageable. But before then, <laughs> oh my God, it was so hard. Yes, I watched in awe. I mean, you're effectively Olympians, aren't you? For sure. And we don't get to grunt or make gross faces or swear. <laughs> like we have to pretend like we're we're in the we're we're in utter bliss. 
Yeah. <laughs> your body just feels like all you want to do is lie down. The other uh, original cast member um, working alongside you uh, in in New York and Paris was Leanne Cope, and Leanne's yes. out to do to do the show also, isn't she? Yes, and you, you're, she is. you're you're sharing the roles with Cameron Holmes and Dimity Azuri from the Australian Ballet. So um, that'll be good. How fun! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll 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 get. A, I guess you'll be get to do four shows a week, will you? Or that's still being worked out. Oh. Well, that would be easy. <laughs> I don't know. If <laughs> you don't know what's what's in store yet. You've just got to get through jet I just lag. Do. And get isolation. down here. Omicron is terrifying, and uh, yeah, I'm here to work. So great, great. So t- tell me, did um, Leslie Caron and and Jean Kelly's widow manage to see the show, and were they able to sort of uh, give you the nod of approval? Yeah, they were so wonderful, and um, Leslie Caron. Uh, in London, she got me a bottle of champagne and left it in my dressing room with a note that said, Jean K would have been so proud. Wow. And so I kept that note and I have it framed in my apartment. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's, that's pretty cool. Because, of course, it's not an impersonation. You're, you're playing a role and you, you've developed your own character, but, but this is a role that he originated yes. on film. Yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah, and, and is so iconic. In, and I think when you have somebody that's, that's done it perfectly, you, you can't just try and go and recreate that version. And what helps is that we don't do the, the choreography in the musical from the movie. It's brand new choreography, so... Um, that helps find some distance as well. And, you know, you're like, you're paying homage to, yeah, you're paying homage to uh, the person who got you into dancing. Yeah. I think that's, that's wonderful. Following the footsteps of your hero. Yeah. Pretty cool. Robbie, are you superstitious in the theater? Do you have an opening night routine that you like to go through? Um, I always have little, little things that end up creeping up and, become a uh, <laughs> a thing like knocking on wood if for, if someone says something I have to I have to knock on wood and I, for some reason I can't let that one go but I was uh, I was in New York performing uh, a couple weeks ago and I caught myself having anxiety because I wasn't doing the same exact warm-up that I'd done the night before and you know, as I've gotten older and more experienced, it's trying to recreate the same show is not it. And so all the superstitions, trying to feel like you've prepared yourself in the same exact way. Why not show up to the very first part of the musical having done a different warm-up? You're 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 in a different place, you're in a different mindset, you're a different person, you're a little you're you're a day older than you were before. Um, I, I, I kind of embrace the, um, the variety now when before, I think I was so terrified that I was like, I just need, (laughs) I need to do the same exact thing because I just need to get through this and I need to like, you know, that was so stressful in the beginning, but it's, um, and that beginning, not just of this show, I'm talking about when I was in New York City Ballet doing Romeo and Juliet when I was 19 years old and freaking out. Um, I would order the same thing before every show, 
for food and it got a little obsessive. So yeah, I've been superstitious in the past, but I've, I, um, I've tried to embrace change. Work with the circumstance, the given circumstances on any day. Fresh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's about keeping it fresh, keeping it fresh. Well, an American Paris starts uh, in 2022. You're, you're in uh, January. You're in uh, at the QPAC Lyric Theatre in Brisbane, uh, Her Majesty's Adelaide in February, Crown Theatre in Perth in February. My goodness, you're going all over Australia. State Theatre in Melbourne in March and then the Sydney Theatre Royal in March. And we can't wait to see your, your Jerry Mulligan. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, I'll just finish off, Robbie, with... Um, a quote that I found in an article, Krista Wielden's description of you. He said that your performance quality reminds him of dancers of a bygone era like Jacques D'Ambois or Edward Villela. Not a refined princely technique, but a raw masculine theatricality, a real American male dancer style, exciting, stage-devouring dancing. That's pretty impressive. Oh, that's so sweet. Well... Uh, as I say, gotten so close over over the last couple of years after an American Paris and during an American Paris. He's such a wonderful human. Will he get out to Australia? Do you know? No, because he is in the thick of it. He just uh, first previews of his new musical happened on Broadway last night. Oh, great! What what's the new musical? Yeah. MJ. MJ. Oh, is it uh, the Michael Jackson show? Jackson. Yeah, great. Oh, great. yeah. And he's done the choreography it's for that. Pretty incredible. That and he's enlisted some of uh, some people who actually worked with Michael um, to find find that essence. Very exciting. Now, in the US, do you say chookers for good luck? You heard that that term before. That's what everyone. Australian Australian in New York City ballet who would say chookers, and I was like, what? (laughs) We'll get used to it. Everybody says it here, so they mean good luck. Yeah. So chookers, Robbie Fairchild. Um, Great to meet you. Thanks for the chat. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. An American in Paris plays throughout Australia in 2022. You can catch this glorious dance and musical theatre spectacular at QPAC in Brisbane at the Lyric Theatre from January 8 to 30. Her Majesty's in Adelaide in February, the Crown Theatre in Perth during February also, the State Theatre of the Melbourne Arts Centre in March and in Sydney during March at the Majestic Theatre Royal. Chookers to Robbie and the cast from the Australian Ballet for a triumphant season. I can't wait to see it. Thanks for joining us in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages. Stages.